This is French Tech Podcast, where you'll find interviews of tech ecosystem actors sharing their stories with La French Tech London. We hope you enjoy it. Today, we're welcoming Anne Elker. She's a senior fintech advisor and a fabulous mentor who has spent over 20 years with Nordia, the largest financial services group in the Nordic region and one of the biggest banks in Europe. As part of the La French Tech London's fintech podcast series, she's in conversation with Hélène Alumni-Botteri. This is Hélène Alumni-Botteri. I am the lead for the fintech group. It's really my pleasure, Anya, to have you with us today. Just to set the stage, we've met at the Accelerator from Accenture, and uh, until recently, you've been the head of innovation for a large bank in the Nordics. You have an international outlook, and you seek inspiration for new data-driven customer value and new digital business models. Anya, you are now involved with two startups, so can you tell us a bit more about your career and those two startups, two questions? Yes. Thank you, Helen. Thank you for the kind invitation. I've been really looking forward to talk with you today. Yes, it's correct. I've been uh, in corporate innovation in a large classic universal bank for many years. It's one of the largest in the highly digitalized Nordic region, um, where I was responsible for initiating and executing a long range of uh, digitalization projects for mainly retail clients. Five years ago, we wanted to understand more about the methodology and the culture in digitally born companies. And that's why how I got started to work with FinTechs. Uh, because we could see that um, we could learn from what the innovation we saw outside. So the, the traditional bank I, I worked for those days actually established an experimentation and learning unit. So besides establishing an experimentation customer panel where we launched MVPs version of uh, the banking app, we also started to reach out to, uh, to fintechs and big techs to try to figure out if we could co-innovate in some ways. We were really blown away from what we saw. Uh, those days, it was mainly about FX and uh, crowd lending platforms like Soper or TransferWise. But uh, then the whole idea of how could we bring that kind of innovation and culture into uh, banking for the benefits of both parties, but especially the clients were born. That's how kind of um, it changed my interest more into uh, to startups and smaller companies. So where What we did first was we initiated the first corporate accelerator program in the in the Nordics. It was already back in 2015. It provided massive learning. Uh, I think what was perhaps most important was that it verified the partnership hypothesis that startup and scaling companies could really benefit from working with banks as a go-to-market strategy, but also that banks could really benefit from working with the smaller companies like in strategic partnerships. Um, but it also revealed that um, they are very different and there's a lot to be done to cater for great collaboration. So that has been kind of my focus uh, when I was still in the bank to try to establish what we call kind of partnership capabilities to ease that. And you clearly started uh, quite early on, 2015 is a uh is pretty uh, much a pioneering uh, for that type of collaboration between fintechs and banks, frankly. 
I'm wondering, you know, how this collaboration uh, may, may be evolving and maybe perhaps uh, how fintech might be now impacted by the crisis from what you noticed. Have you seen any initiatives that uh, fintech may have taken uh, during the current crisis that you found uh, noticeable or interesting? Yes, I, I noticed that fintechs have been very good at stepping up to this challenge. And uh, I think that turned it into an opportunity to share how the services can help I think what I've seen mostly is how they can help, especially SMEs, and how they can help ease uh, the consequences of uh, COVID-19. If you take a look at Fintech 50's website, they have a long international list. I think one of the more surprising ones I found was a company called ShieldPay. ShieldPay have uh, created a marketplace that enables pubs in UK to trade as click and collect food shops. So when the pubs are closed, this is an opportunity for them to make another revenue stream. In Denmark, I've noticed some fintechs who really changed the business model completely. We have a, a startup called Female Invest. They just won the Cashier's Women Initiative, by the way. That's the largest startup competition for women. But they started to consider the consequences of the pandemic already in February. At that point, there was no cases in Denmark at all. But even though they started to consider uh, if it could have an impact on the business. So they decided to change the event-based revenue model to a subscription-based model. And what they have experienced is an impressive inflow of new subscribers. I, I think I've seen figures from 300 to 2,000. So it was really great timing because also what happened during uh, this crisis have been that this, the interest from personal investments have simply exploded. So all platforms related to investment having, have seen a huge increase in interest. But at the Copenhagen Fintechs, uh, you can find a good overview of how Fintechs also support SMEs during uh, COVID-19. As a Dane, I, I'm closer to the Fintech scene in, in Copenhagen. Um, you can say at a time where a lot of companies suddenly, re suddenly realize that you need to move your business online. I think that has been uh, an experience for a lot of uh, more traditional companies. Then it's good to, you can see how you can get help from, for instance, a company like Swipe, who has a one-click checkout solution. But another great one to notice is uh, CreditWire. CreditWire have a solution that provides company with real-time overview of their financial position. So it's, it's kind of an updated overview. And that is really useful documentation for companies who want to apply for support from the Danish relief packages. The example you just shared are really a good illustration of how this crisis has dramatically accelerated digital adoption for a number of actors. I'd like to go back to another point you just made earlier about increased uh, interest in investment. Do, do you have a theory as to why that was the case during these past few months? Yeah, I, I don't know for sure, of course, but I think uh, it's been uncertain times. Uh, a lot of people lost their jobs or their, their customers. And then I think some people also were grounded at home and uh, had a lot of time to start to look into uh, investments. So I think it can be a combination of trying to find new personal revenue streams to kind of substitute as a, a lost salary, but also that if you're grounded at home, I think a lot of people have had the personal finances on their mind, then this could have been an interesting time. And on top of that, it has been a time where we have seen a 
huge movement uh, in the stock prices. So, and whenever you have a huge movement in the stock prices, that is a very good opportunity to make a buck or two if you make it right. That's how it works. Back on another topic you briefly touched upon, which is release packaging. So, in this podcast series, we like to understand how the startup ecosystem is being supported or not by various governmental measures that have been deployed recently with a view to limit the economical impact of the crisis. Could you share a little bit what you've observed uh, for, in terms of measures taken by Denmark to support the startup and maybe the economy in general? We, we like to collect the point of view of our guests and uh, would be uh, much, much uh, grateful to hear from, uh, from your view on this one. Yeah, sure. The Danish society is a welfare society. So that means we all pay a lot of taxes in Denmark, but we also experience that society is there to kind of support and help during challenging times. And that has also been, it was a concept you could say even before this crisis. So we get a lot from the tax payment. For instance, we get free access to education and all students in Denmark are offered allowances so they can focus on their studies. I think that's actually the only place in the world where you find that. But uh, so this is kind of in general the setup. So the Danish government also did a great job in establishing a lot of support and relief packages very fast already at the same time as the lockdown in March. So when they communicated the lockdown, they were also able to communicate uh, a long range of support packages. The general packages include a lot of different initiatives, but just mention uh, perhaps some, some of the more important ones. That is a temporary salary compensation. I think they pay up to 80% of people's salary to avoid that people will lose their job. So, so companies could send them home, their employees, and only have to pay 20% to keep your employees during uh, the time. Then you could get compensation for fixed expenses. Um, it was also a po- an opportunity to postpone VAT or taxes. And then for the self-employed and solo entrepreneurs, uh, there's been some special packages, so you could also get some uh, compensation. Regarding startups and early entrepreneurs and venture companies, there's a long range of different setups, uh, mainly loans and bank guarantees. It's still being discussed, as I understand, what we should do more to ensure that we do not lose out on loans innovation and growth opportunities because of course it can be difficult to document what you lose out on if you're very new company so there's been a lot of discussions but uh, as i understand uh, there are especially loans these days you can get i agree with you it's probably too early to know at this point what results these measures will have to support the ecosystem now if we try to take an optimistic outlook have you been positively impressed by any new idea or business model emerging in this complicated time? Yeah, I think in, in general, this crisis has boosted digital company, the competences, sorry, uh, all around, no matter where you look, it has been a really boosting a movement towards more digital. I think one of the really fun examples I noticed is uh, the company Vestas. It's a Danish windmill manufacturer and service provider. What they've done, they have actually already distributed augmented reality glasses to the hubs around the world, but they were really not used that much. But when COVID-19 prevented the service specialists to travel around the world and repair, they could really take advantage of that they have already implemented the technology. So what happened is that they could send a local technician to a windmill and then a specialist 
from the headquarter could see what this specialist saw and then could then guide the, guide the local guy or girl to actually fix the windmill. This is uh, also, you can say, you fix it, but at the same time you upgrade the competences of uh, the local employees. So I think this is really a creative use of technology in a time where people can't travel. Other examples I've seen is like, uh, there's a Danish singer-songwriter called Mas Langer. Very early on, he, he actually made a, a concert in the closed Copenhagen airport. So he were allowed to use uh, the airport area. So the audience will, um, will go to the concert by car and they will all be connected. Uh, I think it was via Zoom. And so he actually interacted with people in the audience in their cars and they will be um, broadcasted to huge screens at the airport area. So everybody could kind of be together even with the distance. I think there's been an article, I think it was BBC who had a video on that actually. So I think that was a very creative. And later on, I saw some um, a soccer game where they had the fans distributed to huge screens at the stadium. So the, the football players during the match could still sense their fans, but the fans were sitting safely home in their living rooms. Uh, we're seeing some new solutions. I really like the one with the augmented reality glasses because uh, it's really something we can use for the future as well. I think soccer games will go back to how they were. I would agree the AR glasses are probably there to stay and uh, and will probably be useful for future business models. Uh, jury is still out on, on events and uh, any soccer games or sports events will resume. I think there are articles nowadays coming up to talk about uh, the interaction of the crowd being around for the players and, and having an impact and affecting the game. So how do you translate that via Zoom might be, might be more challenging. But the concert example you gave, you know, sounds like uh, the 50s reinvented. Huh? Somehow people who used to go in a movie in their car and now we found a way to make this be far more interactive. So that's interesting to see how, we, you know, the future can also draw on the past, but reinvent it with modern tools and technology. Yeah, I think this whole crisis is actually renewing the interest for personal ownership of a car. I live downtown in the city and I would have said that until now, this is my last car because going forward, I'll just pick a car in some uh, platform whenever I need a car. But now I'm not so sure anymore because it has be really been a tool for freedom during the lockdown that you had a car, you could go out of the city, go to a forest, take a walk at the beach or something like that. So I think this might actually change some of our expectations and ownerships for there's been so much discussion that it was a trend towards a sharing economy and people don't want to own stuff anymore. They want to have access to stuff. Mm. We might actually want to own our car going forward. As long as you don't know who's been in the car before, then it might be better to have actually your own car. So it, it might change some of the trends we have discussed earlier. This crisis has also been some kind of stress test for our different societies. And some cases, we have seen governments who have failed to deliver on citizens' expectations. I think that it has raised at least a lot of new and reinforced attention on some of the old themes of inequality in society and access to healthcare for everybody. So this, that's kind of some of the old themes. But what is perhaps even more interesting is that we have seen it also managed to raise attention and debate on some of the new tech-related questions about our future digital societies. Topics like surveillance, privacy, data usage, 
is perhaps normally discussed between people who work with these areas. But a lot of nations have been looking into developing contact detector apps. And I know at least in Denmark, there's been a lot of discussions on the dinner tables where ordinary people have an opinion suddenly and understood the difference between centralized versus decentralized data storage from a democratic citizen perspective. I find that is really reincurring and uh, it's really important uh, that we have these discussions about how we use technology in our societies. People are becoming more involved and, and, uh, and trying to understand the impact of that technology, just not using it, but try to comprehend what it means and uh, what people will do with the data, etc. I think we were on that path already with GDPR. I would agree with you, the, the contact detector apps have probably brought home more of that concern around, uh, you know, what happens to my privacy. And, and I would imagine this debate is going to continue for, for a while now. Yeah, I think the whole uh, topic of surveillance has been kind of put high on the agenda again. So, of course, then there's some more obvious trends uh, that we have seen the increase in online shopping everywhere. As we talked about, there's been this overwhelming inflow of new customers to online investment platforms. I haven't seen figures, but I will expect we have increased interest for e-learnings as well. Again, people have been at home. Uh, some people perhaps uh, want to change their work life, uh, want to explore other topics. And then I think contactless payments have really increased as well. So it has been, people have tried to avoid to touch stuff, right? So to minimize human contact. So uh, contactless payments, the people who were, didn't want to bother to figure out how it worked, I think most of them have figure it out by now. Some of these trends are here to stay. Yes, I definitely think so. I'm, as mentioned, I'm in doubt about the, the huge event like soccer games and the ownership of cars, but from early on implementation of digital finance innovation, we know that a lot of people experience as a barrier for starting to use new digital services, but we also know as soon as they have kind of tried it and experienced them, most of them will continue to use it so I don't expect people will go back to pay traditionally with the plastic card or I think they have experienced also now the convenience. I'm more in doubt when it comes to the personal value adjustment, but I think that's actually something where we could also impact it. We could try to remind each other to stay on track. So I think that it's going to be very interesting to see um, what will happen if people will kind of adjust their personal values longer term. To go back to an aspect of your career, which is, you know, how we started and, and where we met. So you've worked with accelerators and incubators as a mentor. Some have had business models that very much involve face-to-face -face interaction and meetings in close proximity, close collaboration. How do you expect their models to evolve? Yeah, but I'm not sure it's only because of COVID-19. I strongly believe that large companies and entrepreneurs can benefit from teaming up, but there also seems to be like a trend away from the centralized in-house innovation hub in the large companies, which might actually increase need for incubator and other innovation facilitation formats to help ease that collaboration between people involved from the larger companies and the entrepreneurs, because now we don't have the, if you don't have the experts in the larger companies going forward, then you need support somewhere to help ensure you have a good collaboration. But I think perhaps we will see more tailored formats. 
I think we need more flexible solutions adjusted to uh, each case. I think this 12-week on-site demand, especially in a time where we can't travel, I think we will most likely see less of that. You know, for, for me, it's, uh, it's always interesting to hear people's perspective because, like you've seen models where um, accelerators very much focus on one location and others are completely virtual. And it's always interesting to compare, you know, in, in standard circumstances, what attracts startups most, what they find most valuable. But I think we are now a two shift to another way of creating value add for these companies without relying on uh, on location so much. So hopefully, yeah, we'll still find the support we need. Talk a little bit about talent and people. You've worked uh, in large teams in the banking environment, and you've probably faced, you know, recruiting people. I'd like to have your take on, on uh, talent and recruiting. And I'm wondering if this crisis will make it harder or easier to recruit and retain strong talent, especially in the field of innovation. Yeah, I think talent is something you can attract if you are attractive, right? But also we have to realize a lot of people lost their job and a lot of people also go looking for jobs. So I think there will be a lot of talent out there looking for the next uh, job. I think values are changing uh, and the most attractive talent will be in a position where they can live more true to their values. And that means that the companies really want to attract the best talent need to perhaps to adjust a little in order to uh, to be attractive. But I think there will be a lot of good people out there you could uh, you could hire. But I think it will be increasingly important to cater for the personal development and learning and early career opportunities. I'm not sure it will be more difficult to attract talent short term because I think a lot of people is hunting for jobs. Because everybody's kind of remote working to a degree that has lowered the barrier concerning geographical location. You know, before some jobs were meant to be in a particular area, you had to be in close proximity to the office or be able to get to an office. But this is no longer the case at the minute. So maybe the talent pool doesn't look the same anymore. No, I think we will have a more global workforce. I think that's definitely true, that we have a strong trend towards globalization. And in the digital world, it can still happen even though we can't travel. I know a lot of solo entrepreneurs who, who are open for tasks from wherever because they work online digitally. So it, it, it's not really that important. They go for the interesting tasks instead. So I think you're right. We, we will see in some areas, at least, we'll see a more global workforce. And I think people also like the flexibility. Uh, of course, they like the safety of um, salary, some people. But I think other people, uh, if they're really good, they kind of want perhaps more flexibility and they like that they can make a living and still have time for other projects on a more personal note or perhaps at a later point start to travel again. We transition maybe for us to discuss an inspiration you'd like to share with us or maybe some exciting challenge you'll be taking on once the pandemic is over. Yeah, I think the whole concept of work is up for change. Uh, I think that's a strong trend towards projects, contract relations, freelancers, solo entrepreneurs, portfolio career, you name it. I think we saw it already before COVID-19, but I think the lockdown period with the time to reflect and this, the comprehensive boost in digital transformation and the increase in digital competences all around will accelerate that change. So, um, and what I hear from my network of people who used to work in uh, corporates is that they really enjoy their actual work. 
when they feel progress and they, they feel they impact a real change. But in some companies, the jobs also come with a lot of uh, administrative tasks. It comes with a lot of meetings. And some people now start to feel that it might be okay to, to risk a little to be able to focus more on the actual task. So in these challenging times, um, I also have heard that some people find that, okay, a traditional job turned out really to be less secure. Um, if you had a portfolio of two, three, four clients, it was actually more secure than just having one job and one manager. So I think it's been an obvious learning from the past months that it has been such a clear advantage to have flexibility from multiple revenue streams. So you can say retailers with online shopping has been in less pain. If you were a restaurant who also had like takeout, you were in less pain. And likewise, uh, the solo entrepreneurs with more than one cl client has also perhaps been able to keep one of the clients and even though they lost another one. So on a personal level, I find that really interesting and stimulating. And this is a way people can also consider to break out from very fixed roles and narrow job descriptions and routines. It's kind of allow you to bring all your experiences and personality and, and toolbox into play. And you can adjust your focus from one task and then you do something different next time that might matches your interest and your um, kind of and your values better. So in a faster and faster changing world, I think we need to ensure that we continuously learn, grow and get inspired by a broad range of, um, it can be thought provoking people and ideas. And if you allow yourself to swap between roles and projects and different kinds of tasks, I think it's easier to learn. So I think we will see much more contract-based work relations, both in freelancer roles, but I think it could actually also be a trend in more classic corporate jobs that you have this task-to-task -task allocation instead of having a very fixed description of what it is that you do eight hours every day. Very so, interesting point about uh, um, you know, the evolution of how we think about jobs, but also about uh, how we think about job security, which is quite fascinating because as as you well described, initially people would have thought a classic corporate job is the most secure versus being a solo entrepreneur. You have to generate your own income stream, etc., find the clients, etc. But we find with this crisis that uh, some conception we have had for years are being shattered and uh, no longer hold true. So it may really redefine uh, the work environment and. Uh, and what's perceived as a better option, more fulfilling, as you described, with you know, maybe tasks that are more in line with personal goals and aspiration, but also maybe more secure, or oddly enough, you know, completely at the opposite. You want to share with us about um, what, what you've learned through, throughout this crisis and how you're thinking about reinventing your, the next phases of your career? Yeah, it's correct. I have a, a small experimentation on learning leave myself. I've been looking into a lot of different interesting concepts and, um, and also ideas. But um, I think when you understand your values and your interests, and you can also kind of boil your competences and your insight down to what is actually value-adding for someone and or a need, and then see if you can find a market, a place where you can combine what is important to you, what you're able to do, and what someone needs. Uh, and if you can combine that, could have 
what they in Japan, they have this concept of Ikigai. I think it's a wonderful tool to consider how you can combine your Iki, which means a life, with your Gai, meaning purpose. Uh, the past months have definitely inspired me to be even more ambitious when I kind of want to try to combine my values and my interests and my competences. It's very common for people to do some evaluation of their life during vacation times. But this year, I think most of us will have even more to reflect upon and hopefully also some great ideas uh, to mature over summer. So I think we are up for an interesting, innovative, creative autumn where all this will come into play for. So I think it would be so much fun to see what will happen uh, yeah, on personal levels and business-wise and innovative um, in autumn. Uh, on a high note and, uh, and an optimistic note uh, about the future and, uh, and what's up to come, I'd like to open up for questions. So let's see if we, if we have any questions. Oh, yes, I have a question. Thank you. Uh, I'm Caroline from French Tech London. Thank you, Anya, for your time with us today and sharing your views on the recent market evolution, both on challenges and positive initiative. Uh, you mentioned the relationship between large companies and entrepreneurs and how accelerators and incubators might evolve towards a more tailored format. Uh, could you please share uh, any specific example of new practices you are anticipating? Thank you. That's really an interesting uh, question. What we see is now that a lot of the innovation and responsibility is moving closer to business. A lot of large companies have um, had like innovation labs, but I think it's, it's very important that you also ensure to, uh, to get the people from uh, the business areas who are close to clients out and see the innovative solutions and the markets so they can kind of understand the, the, all the options and the opportunities for, for great solutions that could add value to the clients. Then if you want to kind of connect, someone needs to help support that. In some companies, it will be like some internal specialist, but I think what we have seen in other areas is that you have like more professional external partners that can kind of help and know what is best practices, what is best learning. So I think it really depends on the size. Uh, it might be that very large companies will still have like a process they follow very strictly, where perhaps more mid-sized companies will benefit from an incubation or a, an external uh, innovation um, partner. Topic we didn't touch upon, but I'd like to ask your opinion on it, which is diversity. Do you think diversity will be impacted one way or another by this crisis? I'm thinking mostly in terms of recruiting and innovation or perhaps even startup funding uh, for those startups who have female founder or diversity CEOs. I think in general, there was, there's a strong trend and attention on um, the challenge with diversity to ensure diversity, both in, in startup and technology, but also that we know that a lot of technology is biased, facial recognition and stuff like that has been discussed even before the crisis. So I think it's a general trend. I'm not sure if um, the COVID-19 crisis will boost that or change that. It might be that, yeah, as we discussed before, there's a lot of discussion on equality and, um, and diversity is also kind of connected with that. So um, it might be boosted by that. But I think it's more like a general trend. I'm not sure it's, it's co-owner related. First of all, being with us today and for sharing your views on um, 
innovation world and how it's being impacted by, um, by the current crisis and giving us an update from the, the Nordic region. This is much appreciated. Thank you for um, the trends you're noticing and the optimism you're bringing throughout this crisis. You, you picked up on, uh, on, on some positive developments that are coming up and it's, it's very encouraging. So um, I'm much grateful for your time today. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been great talking with you today. This is it. Thank you for listening to French Tech Podcast by La French Tech London. We hope you enjoyed it. Find more episodes on our website, frenchtechlondon.com, and on your regular podcast channels. See you soon.